My name is Scott Lawler, and I'm a 35-year veteran of the painting industry where I've been part of growing several multi-million dollar painting companies. I have worn all the hats and have experienced everything you have experienced, are experiencing, or will experience. There is lots of chatter about getting to a million dollars, but what very few focus on is what it takes to blast through Death Valley and create the multi-million dollar company of your dreams. We don't focus on fads, tricks, or shortcuts. We focus on solid foundational business principles and data that deliver results. This is the Consulting for Contractors Beyond a Million Dollar Podcast. Hey, everyone. It's Scott with C4C, and I'm glad you stopped by to listen to the podcast today. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Today, we're going to talk with Nick Laurel, owner of Laurel Painting in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. What we learned with our conversation with Nick is that it's probably not your leads, it's probably not your people, it's probably not your strategy, it's probably you. If there's one thing you can take away from this episode is that before you look at all the other aspects of your business that are preventing you from reaching a million dollars, you need to look at yourself and your data. In some ways, Nick is the poster child of going full tilt with the type of honesty and clarity provided by Consulting for Contractors. I hope you enjoy the episode. Nick has had success growing his business and attracting and building a great team. And I think we can learn a lot from his journey. So welcome, Nick, and thanks for being here. Oh, thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Yeah. So just starting off, give us a little journey into how you got in the painting industry and what got you to the recent past. Sure. My father, he still paints actually a little bit today. Works by himself. But growing up, he painted as far back as I can remember. So he started actually just being wallpaper installation and then moved into painting. Some summers in high school, breaks, and then a little bit in college. I worked with him. And honestly, I remember it was just like yesterday, a hot day, 90 some degrees. We're outside. Maybe we weren't even outside. We're in like a probably a house with no air conditioning. And he said, don't effing do this for a living. Get an education. <laughs> and it's funny because he got an education, went to the temple, and then he started doing this. And I think his mentality was just, he worked seven days a week, but he never missed like any of our games. He would show up on his painter whites, go back to work, whatever it may be. His work ethic was, it wasn't necessarily what he did. It was what he needed to do to provide certain things for his family. And he made it work. But vividly remember just dinners, come home with his painter whites and sit down at the dinner table. So again, instilling in us the value of family and work ethic. So I went to college, gosh, maybe five and a half year degree, but I only got a bachelor's. Oh, awesome. You're creating uh, four years in a five and a half. You're an overachiever. Huh? Yeah. I had, a good, I had a good time the first year or so, but I ended up graduating and I got a job down in Center City, Philadelphia for a training and consulting company. And I worked there for a couple of years. I traveled a little bit and got into a sort of managerial position there. So most people would feel happy and, hey, I feel like I'm making it. Made some really good relationships with people there. And and then at the time, my brother was at Penn State and decided to leave college. And he was like, I'm going to go work with dad. And my parents are very much, everything has to be even. You know, down the road, if we offer one kid something, which now looking back, my poor sister, who was the oldest, she got a car, but we got a car. Like, we didn't deserve a car. <laughs> the boys did not. You know, everything down the middle, he said, hey, listen, the offer stands for you too if you want to change something up. And he never thought that I would change my job. There were some rumblings with me, just like, hey, listen, I'm getting promotions without raises a little bit and stuff like that. 
So one day I just called him. I remember sitting in my office like, hey, I'm ready to do this. And I, he just wasn't, he, just, he said, okay. But I don't think he was really ready. So then I started going into painting full-time with my brother, dad, and him. And it lasted one year. I'm thinking about being my own boss, going to make my own way and make all this money. And then just personalities, I think we're a little too similar. So we decided to separate after a year. And then for about three years, my brother and I did it together, thinking that we needed each other. And then we soon realized this is not going to work either. Now, the interesting part is we have a great relationship. And I, we always wanted to keep it that way. And it started to get rocky when we were working together. So that's, we made family come first. Again, instilling values, I'm sure they did. You don't realize when you're growing up, that's what they're doing. So then I went on my own about 2009. Perfect time to start a painting yeah, business. Nice. Yeah. Gosh, it's been, I don't know how long that's been. Over 10 years. And so I think for a solid eight years, I went through that cycle of just being in the field and then going home and trying to work on the business, doing estimates, doing weekend stuff. I remember doing commercial projects by myself till three o'clock in the morning nice. on a weekend. Yep. And at the time I was married, no kids yet. So my advice to anyone that's looking to start any sort of trades business is if you're single and you have no responsibilities outside of work, have at it. <laughs> but when you're married or have a family, it certainly changes things. Yeah, nice. So that was in 2009 and then on. And then what was next for you? So it's interesting. I, I was trying to think about what I would say and what really brought us to where we're at today. And the one thing I thought of is when we try to hire painters here, we always talk about we look for attitude and work ethic because we can teach the painting part. If you have the work ethic and attitude, you can teach anyone anything. I think that was true with me. Now, I had the work ethic, but I didn't have the right attitude. Interesting. It was always blaming. The first eight years were one to eight painters. And your life's hectic. You have now a wife at home. You start to have your first child. And my wife said to me, I didn't sign up for this. And it was me working a lot. And so I started to look for others in the industry that I could surround myself with that could help. And I think really what changed first was my attitude. So I surrounded myself with just like good, positive people. And in the industry was a plus. But you start to change. It's working out. You slowly start. You don't really see anything. And all of a sudden, boom, it's like a habit. So for me, it was just changing my attitude, being more positive like seeking to understand the people we had here and knowing, you know, how to talk to people. So I think that's really what changed for me. The work ethic's always been there for me. I always try to outwork someone. It's just working smarter and being more positive. That's really what switched here because we started to gain some really good people. And I could tell that they would stay if things progressed in a way that made them feel like there was more opportunity than just being a painter. Yeah, that That's sort of... It, it's yeah. really interesting. You can't really... Sounds like you can't really articulate there was an epiphany or a moment, but there was, at some point, you realized it was in your head and your attitude that was the problem. And for some reason, you reached out and started changing that. That was just a moment that was pivotal. It wasn't a crisis necessarily. You don't identify that as a moment in time. But at a certain point, you said, hey... I need to change for this to get better, sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you, it's, life happens, and 
90% of it is how you react yeah, to it. Awesome. And I, I believe that. Yeah. So if you had to put a pin in this, is that about, so you're, say your business and uh, you're, you're about 13 years in on your own. Is that about six, seven years ago, five years ago, eight years ago? Honestly, it's been like maybe three to four. Three to four. Maybe awesome. three years. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not just saying this, but I did not know my numbers. Yeah. Awesome. And you came along and it was like, boom. It was scary, but. So three to four years ago, how many people on your team? Gosh, I'm looking at my board now. I want to say maybe 10. 10 at that time. Okay. Yeah. Maybe 10, about three years awesome. ago. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's just, so from three years ago at 10, you were, you're just saying you don't even know your numbers. You're just still running hard. You got how many kids at that time? Two or three? I, I've got two at okay. this point. So you're running hard. And so from there to today, that's, you're going to, it sounds like that's really where the massive change happened, the metamorphosis. And you're a lot different today than you were three go, three years ago. It sounds like. For yeah. sure. Awesome. All right. And so let's just talk about today. Tell us a little bit about what your company looks like today. What's your service mix, your, your employee model. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about where you are today in your org chart. So we're mainly residential repaints, interior, exterior. We do some more like commercial on the property management and repaints, things like that. We're rarely getting in, into anything new. Our clients are, I'd say, 50% or more probably repeats. We, it's all out of warm referrals. If someone said they found us on Google, I tend to worry. Like, what page did you find us on? Okay. Which is interesting because if you look at average size of painting companies, we're quite bigger than the average size. And in the area, we've got a really good reputation. The one thing that we really never stopped focusing on was the quality of work. And that's a non-negotiable for me. And so if you do good work and you can then work on your business and you start to bring, and you start to bring people on that want to be part of that, producing a good product, that kind of translates into everything else we do. We have right now 20, 21 starting Monday. So 21 field staff painters. And then we have a production manager who's been with us for, gosh, four, four years so it's interesting because he came on around that three-ish, four-ish year mark when things really started to change. So Corey's our production manager, and uh, we have two office people. We've got Danielle in the office full-time now, and then we have Melissa who used to do everything, and she still does some things. But she's decided to stay on part-time to help us. Um, you know, and she, it's interesting because he asked like these pivotal moments of where you change, and like Melissa was probably one of, if I had to say, biggest moments was when she came in. Now, and it's, forget the work ethic and what she brings. It's the attitude. It's like, nothing is ever a big deal and nothing is negative. And it's like, that that trans, like that just spreads. Yeah. And our staff actually says, that's when things really start to get even better here. Yeah. So like, I have to give her certainly credit. And then we've got, we moved uh, one of our foremen into a role where he's managing multiple projects. So it's kind of our makeup now. A lot of exterior in the summer, spring and sure. summer, but it's all res. And repaints. your revenue projection this year, just to put this in context. Gosh, last time we spoke, it was like two, 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 three. I'm a little disappointed in that, but that's and okay. You wanted a trillion, yeah. I know, but <laughs> I want everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two point three this year is what you're on track to do. Yeah, awesome, and which is still good growth from last yeah. year. It's last year's one seven ish. So we're still going the right way and keeping true to who we are, and which is important. Yeah, awesome. And just for a point of reference, Melissa is going into education. So she's doing some student teaching. That's why she exited. She, she was a great fit to the team and just wanted to do something in education. And she's pursuing that now. Awesome. Yeah. 
let's get into a little bit of the meat that I'm hoping people will enjoy with There's you. It's about your culture. Tell us a little bit about your okay. culture. What's your vibe? Yeah. How, what's, what is it in your company and how do you run it and how do you live it? Yeah. I mean, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? It does. Mm -hmm. We created three non-negotiables here. And it's a big banner sticking up in our shop. And any new person that comes in reads it. It's be on time, stay positive, and stay productive. Nice. And, they all, and it's pretty simple stuff, right? So it's be on time is self-explanatory. If you're two minutes late, a couple of days in a row, our foreman will remind you in a positive way. We're not the others. We're not the screamers. Not allowed. And staying positive is simple. It's pain. It's simple. You're allowed to make mistakes. I mean, we all make them, whether it be pain-related, something accidentally breaks, whatever the case may be, things happen. But it, the one thing that we can control is being positive throughout the day, throughout the week. So that's a non-negotiable for us. And then being productive, we're telling everyone that we don't expect you to come in here and be the best painter, but we expect you to be productive enough and ask what's next. So the work ethic and attitude thing is, is really, I think, from the beginning, what we try to instill in anyone that comes here. Yeah. As far as culture goes, it starts with me, right? If I'm, if I'm complaining about specific people or clients, if I'm blaming foremen for the way a job goes or painters or clients, what do you think they're going to do? And it goes back to just, sometimes you have to remind yourself, like, it, they're going to look to you to how to act. Mm -hmm. So it's when I enjoy now when there's a challenging client to intervene and say, hey, I can help you out with this one. Because then they see how to act. They see if you're with a client for three weeks in their home and they're giving you a hard time, they're challenging. Uh, maybe they're not, you know, they're used to contractors that don't show up on time. They're used to contractors that aren't friendly. And that is the opposite of us. We over-communicate. We have some of the best people here, human beings. Yeah, they're just, the, they're great people. And they meet them. It's almost like surreal to them. And sometimes clients still act a certain way. But it's three weeks out of their life. Yeah. And I remind them of that. It's three weeks out of your life that you have to, unfortunately, be with someone that might not be happy. And it's never you. So like just coaching moments of like opportunities when they have a difficult client to remind them that it understand, Chris, it's not you. I understand that the way that they're communicating to you is maybe not polite, but maybe there's something else going on with them. It's certainly not the painter that's in their house for two to three weeks. So they, if you do enough of that, like these opportunity moments to teach them that it's, you have the right to be upset, but at the same time, you can choose to allow you to mess up your job by not performing well, or you can Kill them with kindness and do those things. I think that that's sort of like those opportunities. As far as being a team, that's the biggest challenge when you have more and more people, because you want someone to come in and you put them with, uh, you know, a foreman or two, and months could go by without them really getting to know others. We've talked about this, and you know, you have some cycles of doing it really consistent, and then you remind yourself, oh my gosh, we haven't had a team cookout in a while. So we have a, we change things. We used to do a first uh, Thursday cookout where I have a grill here now and I just get a bunch of food. I grill it out and whoever wants to come hang out. It's an opportunity for them to hang out and just not talk about work. I put the TV on, ESPN, whatever they want to watch. We change that to now Fridays, first Fridays. So it's like first Fridays, 
and we took an opportunity to have a teaching moment. So we're actually going to do some training. And then it's, hey, we have a cookout afterwards if you want to stay. Okay, so it's going to so, switch to a mandatory training and then hang out if you'd like type of thing? Bingo. And we thought maybe there'd be more. Because, you know, it sneaks up on you like that yeah. Thursday. And maybe they already have plans. But now if it's they're more inclined to at least stay for a little bit nice. and get to meet more people. So we did that. We try to do things quarterly now where we do a team events. We went to Top Golf. Like one of the guys was like, I've never even swung a golf club before. <laughs> like, this is amazing. So nice. it's just, and we split the teams up in a certain way. Like we put all the painters together. We put the foreman and the new manager together in, in the office. Just so like we could really sort of interact. We're doing a foreman versus painters softball game in the fall. Cool. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to dominate them. But we're going to give them extra outs. We're going we're gonna to have a wheel there. They can spin, get a man on base. Like, we're going to do make it fun. Already confident, and then afterwards, the, oh, our, <laughs> we have some semi-professional foreman there. Guys that played in college, it's, it's not going to be fair. But we try to do things that aren't work-related. I mean, everyone tries to do it. But, you know, you asked, like, my wife always has a problem with, oh, there's Nick again being honest. But I only, I just can't, I can't be fake. I can't give compliment sandwiches. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at saying, hey, <laughs> you're doing really well, but there's this. And then end it. Let's just be kind. Let's be honest. And that's my approach to everything. Yeah. So anyone that, I don't have a lot of friends now because of it perhaps, but it's just honesty, right? Yeah. So if you're doing it in a kind way, they understand where it's coming from. That's our approach. We are about halfway through this episode of the Beyond a Million Dollar podcast from Consulting for Contractors. We still have some more great content for you. But before we get to that, we wanted to let you know about some resources available via the show notes. You will find links to our website, social media outlets, and highlights of the show. You'll even be able to schedule a free discovery call with Scott and our team to find out how consulting for contractors can help your contracting business. We'll ask you a few questions, see what your current situation is, and then help you start that journey to the contracting business of your dreams at www.consulting4contractors.com and reach out to us there. Now here's the remainder of the show. And why it works for you, I think, uh, being someone that participates with you in life, is I think that honesty is delivered at a pretty low RPM. In other words, you're not amped up and intense with it. It's truly like there's this sense of, I really do care about this company and you're part of it. That means I care about you. That's why I'm saying this. And where we, what you do with it, we'll decide together. How about, you know, so just seeing you interact with your people and how you deliver that truth I think works for you, right? You know, talk about the appreciation sandwich. Hey, forget it. Okay. I'm just going to give it to you, buddy. But it's not it's a lot of effort. It's, there. Do, yeah. it's done in a caring manner. I'm not saying it's gentle all the time, but it's, it's cool. Yeah. So talking about a little bit, your rhythms, you've already jumped in and I'm, I, that's good. So you're doing some quarterly events. You're doing your um, cookouts that are sort of voluntary and at least you're having presence. Tell me a little bit about your meetings, how are you connecting with your team? What's your, what's your, what's your meeting rhythm and who comes to those meetings? Twice a week, Corey and I, he's the production manager. We meet, we do schedule. I start every meeting with what's top of mind. Like what, cause a lot of times people are going to the meetings thinking about something and sometimes they forget to really just get it off. So it's what's top of mind. Let's pause. Let's give it some time. So I meet with Corey twice a week. We also created a leadership team. We took a couple of people that have 
just shown their ability to lead. And it's hard to pinpoint that moment in time, but it's doing the extras, talking to people, and they're, it's also how they approach everyone else. And that's important to me too. It's similar to what you just said. It's how you approach it. But we have a leadership meeting that's every Friday from three to five. And we talk about staff. We talk about changes. We talk about what is the company not doing well for their staff. It's always about that. It's always about what am I as the owner not doing well for you guys? If you constantly ask them what you can do for them, it becomes rhythm every meeting. And isn't that what we're trying to do is understand our yeah. staff. So like, that's important. And those are our weekly meetings. We do a monthly forum meeting. We went back to monthly team meetings and where we do employee of the month, they spin a wheel and stuff like that to get their picture on the board. So, and we try to create like those monthly and quarterly, they're more fun, informational, but like the weekly are where we try to hammer out. So we've got Corey and I, I do have a meeting with the office once a week because it's still new. We're trying to just dive into things that we haven't talk, discussed yet. And then we have a leadership meeting once awesome. a week. Awesome. So I want to dig in here a little bit because, you know, staffing up, you know, that the labor pool is a hot topic right now. And a lot of people are just giving up and saying, you know what, I'm not going to be able to hire employees. I'm going sub, all that stuff. You have no subs. I don't know if you've said that specifically, but so you're just, you said as of Monday, you have your 21st hourly painter starting. So you are the anomaly. And so I want to lean into that and tee this up. What attracts people to Laurel Painting? What attracts people to you? And why do they stay? Because everyone else is saying, there's nobody out there. And I don't hear that coming from you. I know you want more, but that's really a separate issue. <laughs> but that's just you're never, you're never uh, finished. But why are people attracted to your company and why do they stay? Our interview process is more of a conversation. And I do it on the phone. So... I don't have exactly, in, okay, I'll give, you an ex, I'll give you two examples. So one example was recently, we had a young guy had experience and um, he's, <laughs> everything checked out. We still do background checks if we move forward with them and all that. So like it, it, the initial conversation is, hey, I saw your resume. I'm interested. Let's talk about your experience. What do you want from a company? What makes you want to change things now? Okay. Well, there's a reason why people want to change jobs. It could be they're not happy with something. It could be the industry, whatever it might be. I've had people with lots of painting experience say, hey, I'm just done with painting. Fine. Everything went well, and then he's like, not. Transportation is an issue. I was going, well, why? Well, I'm probably going to lose my license. And, okay, most people at that point say, okay, well, you need a license. This isn't going to work. If you're a human being... You're going to say, okay, let me look into this. Okay, so I happen to be married to someone that is in the probation industry, and she knows if someone loses, is someone going to lose their license for a long period of time if it's their first offense? We don't know specifics at this point, but I'm going with what he said. So I knew it wasn't a good fit now, but I called him back and I said, hey, here's what I understand. You should talk to your public defender. You should find out this. You should find out this. You should ask about this. And if everything checks out, then maybe there's an opportunity a couple weeks or months down the road. I looked at it as an opportunity to help him nice. because he had literally no one. Nice. So why not just help him? And you know what? I, it was real. It wasn't fake. It was, he clearly has no direction. So maybe we get someone like that that comes here and says, hey, you help me out. I, just doing good deeds, I think, in general, right? The other way we've gotten a lot of people is because the people that are here, whether it be painters or foremen, know others from other companies, and they know how unhappy they are. 
And the response is usually, it's great here. He's, there's opportunity, good people, he cares about you. And the care about thing is important because I know a lot of business owners, they try to act like well, we can do this with you and we, we give you this, we really care about it. They read right through that. They give them a couple weeks and they will see through that nonsense. But I truly care about everyone here. I, I hugged a guy, I told him I loved him when his mom died. I mean that. And if you mean it, they see it. And I think that's the trouble that a lot of business owners have. It's almost like, and there's that cycle of like, how long is a staff or painter with you for whatever? What's the average amount of time? I have no idea. I don't know either. I, but the accept, everyone accepts that it's, oh, there's summer right. help. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why are we not, you know, so if you're real with them, it's like, we don't want to let our guards down because they might not be here. But why not constantly be yourself and be vulnerable to knowing that that person that's working here, you're being your true self, you're helping them in every situation. And I think that's that switch that I made. And so now if someone comes in here for an interview and they want to know about us, I'm like, give me one week and you're going to love it here. Because it's not about me. It's about the people that work here. So it's like they're going into a happy place. And so everything else takes care of itself. Now, there's people that come in here and they still don't put the effort. We had to let someone go maybe a month or so ago because just not giving the effort, calling out all the time, going against the non-negotiables. Nice gentleman, but it just wasn't going to work here. So you have to kind of know where to pick your battles. Yeah, awesome. So the word I would use is authenticity. So Nick's authentic. And also, because I work with Nick one-on-one, He's got a pretty low ego. He likes to win, okay? I think that's different than ego. He wants to win. He's going to win. But he is a servant leader. I think he, if you're listening to what he's saying, he goes, I care about my people, and I'm going to do what I can to give them a great experience in this career. Um, this isn't a job. It's a career. He didn't say those words, but that's what he's saying because he, you talk about longevity at a place. You know, these aren't transitional. Hey, this is until I can get a better job. This is a career. And his nurturing of his people and how he touches them regularly is really the magic sauce. And it's, an, it's so awesome. So tell me a little bit about um, if it's now or if it was recently or if it's in the future, where are you headed? And what are the things that you're going to have to, what are your next rocks? Where are you headed? And what are mm. the things? Because I'll tell you one thing. Nick is, he'll never tell you this. I'm going to tell it to you. Nick is a high, high producer. Oh, something that I've only seen one other time in my consulting life is he's going to sell basically 2.25 or 2.3 million essentially on his own, which is pretty crazy. We have identified that he was also running, not necessarily too hard. He's still always at home on time. He's at his kids' stuff. They don't work weekends, but something's going to break. And so what's next for you and what's the plan and what's the 2.0 for Laurel Painting here? I want to touch on something real quick too, because you mentioned it. If you surround yourself with people that truly care about you, they're going to tell you what you need. And a moment for me was when Melissa actually said to me, you need to put Corey in charge of production right now. You know it. We all know it. He's your guy. You trust him emphatically. He knows the business. He cares more than anyone else here. So it was like that moment. And she's like, I see what you're going through. And you can't, you in yourself, you kind of internalize it. And you, if you're a worker, you just kind of like, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. But you make yourself sick. 
You get stressed out. You're short a little bit. And you're short with the wrong people. You get home, you have that stone face with your kids. Awful. But it's like that moment. And so like you listen to others around you. And I think that answers a little bit what you're asking is, I need to listen to the people that I put in charge. Because if I don't, I get more and more, not out of touch with what the painters are going through, but like the daily stuff, the weekly stuff. Like I need to trust our managers. I have to trust them to make informed decisions. That's why we created a leadership team to bring up some topics. Hey, we're really forgetting so-and-so. We haven't met with them in a while. I feel like they're getting a little antsy about, hey, we haven't sat down with Nick. I had one person the other day mentioned to the foreman that, you know, I haven't sat down and did a one-on-one with Nick for a while. I went out to his job site. We sat outside for a half hour and talked. Nice. That's what he needed. So I think what the next step for me is, is not losing sight of what got us here. Although what will get us to where we're going is quite different. And that means I can't sell everything. So we promoted someone to an estimator. He's going to focus on one county. We've already got him in networking. I just threw him out there the other day. He went on two estimates. I scheduled him. I think he's going to sell both. Nice. (laughs) But it's my job for me is going to be keeping touch with staff, recruiting, which I do twice a day. Every morning and every afternoon, I am online. Interesting. I'm always recruiting. Always. Yeah. More than sales, actually. Sales is easy for me. I just not a fan of it. (laughs) And the money will come when you stop making it about money. So like, I think for me right now, it's focusing on putting the people in place and trusting that they have the same sort of growth. The more we grow, the more we can offer our staff. And if you grow, you'll actually keep more of those people because there's opportunity for them to do more than just paint. Beautiful. And One of the things, and this is what I love about Nick and what I hope that people enjoy about his story is what he's just talking about is him leading leaders, leading leaders. So he's talking about a painter. He's got two people between him and that painter, but he heard, you know, from his leadership team and ran upline and said, this guy needs some nurturing from the owner. And Nick said, I'm going to make that a priority, but that wouldn't have happened if Nick didn't build into Corey, who's now gone from painter, crew leader to project manager, who's now nurturing crew leaders, who's now nurturing painters. Okay. That's the magic sauce here. And Nick does it naturally. I mean, yes, I know he he hasn't even said this, but he's a high learner. He's always reading books, listening to books, podcasts, but what his magic sauce is that he nurtures the people that he needs to nurture and lead and then they're reproduced, and then they're reproduced again. And that's really, if you get anything out of our discussion with Nick, is that is really, I think, and his environment, he's created, his three values are awesome, but people are attracted to his company. And one of the things I'll just say to those listening, and especially you that are smaller, is one of the things that when I hear, when I talk to some of you, you get frustrated because you, you you haven't created your flywheel yet, right? You haven't created your flywheel because there, you don't have a, you don't have a hook yet. Like, why would I work for you? you know? And so once you figure out your why and get this going, it will be a flywheel. That's a good to great concept, right? So Nick's kind of got a flywheel where people are people in his area know Laurel Painting's legit. Laurel Painting doesn't scream and yell. Laurel Painting pays well. Laurel Painting has opportunity. There, There's a buzz out there and people are coming into his organization. His people are very comfortable 
referring their friends in because it's legit and it's authentic, it's transparent, they're good people, and it just, it works and you can't fake it. And that's what I think is so unique about Nick is it comes from his heart. Before we wrap up, we could go on for hours, but just touch a little bit about data. You mentioned three years ago or so, you didn't know your numbers, you yeah. didn't know your data. Tell me a little bit about what's changed and how have you gotten there? Well, you. So <laughs> it's not supposed to be easy. And when you find out how well or how not well you're doing, you're allowed to digest it and you're allowed to be in that moment, and feel whatever you feel. But if you're going to move forward and be a business owner that's going to be profitable, you have to know for the painting industry how every single job produces and how you produced it, what works, what doesn't, when to load up jobs, when not to, what jobs that you take on, what jobs you don't. And so am I allowed to say that you created this? Okay, so you have this job profitability system that we have. It's got graphs. It's got all kinds of data. Um, We show it to our foreman and it shows each job how profitable it was, hours, materials, all that. I meet with them each foreman monthly to review it. And they talk about honesty. We go over jobs. I'm getting better at actually nailing this down before we get to that meeting. But say there's a job that the estimator, I'm the estimator, didn't do a good job on. Underbid it, promised something they shouldn't have, didn't write it down. But we've got to own it. We've got to do it. I've done a better job of actually going to the job site and talking to the foreman and saying, this one's on me. I get it. I didn't put you in a good position. So then we go to that monthly meeting. We can gloss over that one a little bit. We can still talk about it. But those job numbers, that data, it tells us everything we need to know about the job. The hours, the materials, it tells us the GP, tells us everything. The second thing that we do is we have a full-time bookkeeper that gives us monthly reports. Now, I will say this. It costs money to make money, that's saying. It costs money to know if you're making money. (laughs) And you'll know this. The first estimate I got from him, I was like, Scott, I'm not doing this. This is insane. I'm not paying that kind of money for a bookkeeper. Let's do yeah. someone else there. You're like, that's fine, Probably but how are we going to know? But then he's, okay, I get it. No, I legitimately <laughs> thought like, this guy is, this guy's tricking me. Like there's something, there's something yeah. fishy going on here. But now I get monthly reports and I can't wait to see them because I, because then it tells me if my company's healthy. So like here, that's the coolest part, right? When you're painting in the field every day and then you're doing both, that both part, you're not doing your numbers. There's no chance unless you have someone. And if you have a bookkeeper, fine, or an accountant, but they're doing it, what, monthly or quarterly? We know within a week or two of how well that project did. And that's because of your system. So knowing the numbers allows us to, next time I'm on an estimate, to, to evaluate a job differently, knowing who does well on what jobs, interior, exterior. We recently put one of our foremen in small jobs only. You know why? It's because he was not doing well in large projects. It's not that he's not good at his job. He's excellent. His attention to detail is amazing. But when you scale that up, it turns into over budget. So we put him in a position where now he is cleaning it up. It is him in a van doing like smaller projects for clients and he's crushing it. Because we, anal- we can analyze who's doing well and what jobs. We also have a couple crews that we have a big exterior project. We know who's doing that because of the success they've had. And they want to see that too. It makes them feel good. They want their numbers. So in that JP, we have a quarterly bonus program too. So if our company reaches X amount of, or our GP is over a certain percentage, 
then we actually give bonuses to the foreman and the painters. So everyone gets a check. It's not about money. It's about them feeling like if they're happy, guess who's going to do good work? So the JP's really helped us. This has been awesome. I love working with Nick. He's a great student. He's very serious about the tasks he's given to do. And that's been a joy to watch him scale. And he's, while you hear, he's always looking for more. He's really done a great job this year. He's right on budget. As we wrap, Nick, what would you tell someone that is in the earlier years of their career or trying to grow, pass through the million-dollar zone, which is what we're talking about here. And what would you tell a younger Nick or someone that's in that boat? What are the, what's the advice you'd give them? Breathe. Mm. <laughs> it's not supposed to be easy, right? Nothing we do is supposed to be easy. As a business owner, we take it home. It's not supposed to be easy. But the one thing that I surrounded myself with people like you, and I know how much Scott cares about me and my business. I consider Scott a friend, so I shouldn't actually promote him too much because then it's going to come off like he's my friend. I'm going to tell everyone to use him. (laughs) But here's what I do know is Scott will make you money. And as a business owner, money helps you do things. It's not about money, but it helps you provide your staff with things. If you're in that field and you're painting every day, it's hot right now, it's outside, and you got paint chips stuck on you. (laughs) and it's you got to go home and you're backed up on estimates and calling your cell phone get with someone that can help you make boundaries from your personal life to your business that would be my biggest thing because when you do that then your support at home and when i have support at home i can literally run through walls i can do anything with her support when i am not giving my family what they need they are quick to let me know in, in a way, in, in their own way. But to me, it's having your home. Now, if you're single, if you're not in a relationship and you're on your own, have at it. <laughs> Work seven days a week, pump yeah. it out. Do something for yourself maybe once in a while. But if you have a family, if you're with someone, it's so important to make sure you have their support. Because I feel like that's a big part of it. That's true with everything. But that would be find someone like a Scott that can help you put those boundaries together that can little things that can help you no more cell phone to your clients getting us to telling clients you're going to get estimates out within a week you know not over promising not saying yes to people all these little things add up to success nice but you need help you need someone to tell you that sometimes yeah. and you're not going to find it in a book all yeah, the time awesome yeah thanks for those kind words and there's great there's a lot of great coaching programs in there and we're it's been my privilege to work with Nick so as we wrap, I'll just tell you that if something you've heard today resonates with you and you'd like to talk a little bit more about it, you can always schedule a strategy call with me. We'll put that link in the show notes. So as we wrap here, Nick, thanks so much for serving people like you, your peers, the industry, and just talking a little bit about your journey. I always get encouraged when I hear others, and I'm sure somebody will be really encouraged to hear your story. So thanks for being on. Thanks for having me.